Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. You know I love a good community advocate here on Keep Them Coming, and today's episode is no exception. I was very happy to have Shalise Clay, who is with the Community Health Council of Wyandotte County here in Kansas City, Kansas, and she helps facilitate several programs, all of which are designed to help take care of babies and mothers here in our community, specifically black and brown babies and moms. Through the programs Cradle Casey, Every Baby to One, and plan your pause. I love this idea of having this program to help moms understand the importance of having a pause in between babies to help allow their bodies to heal and get that little one a chance to grow healthy and strong. You know, these these all these programs are very multifaceted. They're trying to get out into the community in various ways to help people understand, you know, what's what is healthy for mom and baby. Because the goal is to reduce infant and maternal mortality rates in our community, especially amongst black and BIPOC communities. You know, even Shalise talked about how she hadn't really thought about planning pregnancies before she was doing advocacy work. And, you know, it really can be quite, as I said in the episode, quite a privileged thing to be able to plan your pregnancy, to have access to health care and have a community around you that supports delaying pregnancy or avoiding pregnancy through certain stages of life or until you achieve certain milestones. I was really happy to have an honest and frank conversation with somebody in our community about what's going on when it comes to women's health and some of the, I don't, I don't know how to put inconsistencies that quite truly cannot be explained away except for one reason and one reason alone. But I'll let you listen to the episode to hear us call out some bullshit. (laughs) Again, this conversation with Shalise Clay was quite refreshing, and I am sure that she will be back on Keep Them Coming again in the future. If you have listened to my podcast the last couple of episodes and not skipped the intro, then you've heard me talk about my upcoming workshop. My Better Sex Workshop is six weeks virtually of lessons in how to be a better lover. Doesn't matter if you are single or if you are coupled up or even in a throuple or more. This workshop is going to cover topics like sexual health and function, coupled sex, solo sex, closing the orgasm gap, being in tune with your sexual self, and much, much, much more. If you ever have that thought of, I wish, I wish the sex was just a little bit better. I wish we were a little bit more connected. I wish I loved my body more. I wish I had more confidence to express myself in the bedroom, speak up and say what I want, just unleash that inner sex kitten. You need to be in my workshop. Again, it is six weeks virtually. Each session is an hour and a half. If you have to miss a week, I will send you a video recording. And you can split the cost of the ticket. If you want to watch it with some friends, have a little watch party each week, you want to watch it with your partner, you want to watch it with your triad, 
or your polycule. Y'all can split the cost of a ticket and watch it together. Tickets are now $5.75. If you are hearing this ad, though, you can use the discount code KTC5 to get a discount, 5%. Tickets are available through Eventbrite. You can also pay in for with PayPal, or you could email me and I will send you an invoice that you can make four payments on. No matter what you want the links to, you can send me an email, Kristen at OpenTheDoorsCoaching.com if you can't find any of the links on my social media, but anything that's got a link in the bio like Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram, you can get to it from there. Come on, what have you got to lose? I was put here on this planet, I truly believe, to help people have the best sex of their lives. So sign up for my workshop, Better Sex, today. If you're not already on my email list, you can get on my safe for work or my not safe for work, again, through those links in my bios, or shoot me an email, give me permission, I'll put you on the email list. That way you can stay up to date on all of my newest columns coming out in the pitch. Also, I've been a guest on several other podcasts lately, including So I Married a Sexologist, Hotter in Person, and seeds and stems i got to talk about sex and cannabis y'all so you don't want to miss out on that episode i actually had a lot of fun on all three of those episodes so no matter which one you listen to you're hopefully going to hear some different stories (laughs) i don't know at this point if you've listened to all my episodes i'm sure you've heard me repeat some things but uh yeah i guess i maybe i tried out some new material on these other shows anyway When you're on my email newsletters, you will always stay up to date on what I've got going on. And I'll send you some sex in the news. The goal is always to help you learn something new with the newsletter. So let me know if you would like to get added. All right. Enjoy my interview with Shalise Clay. On Keep Them Coming today, I am joined by a community advocate, Shalise Clay. She is the program manager for Cradle KC and Every Baby to One with the Community Health Council of Wyandotte County. So welcome to the show, Shalise. Thank you. I'm so excited about this. So thank you so much, Kristen, for having me on. Absolutely. Well, my marketing guy, Steven, connected us because he is uh, working with y'all and had great things to say. I was like, you two definitely need to connect for multiple reasons on it. So thanks, Fuller. (laughs) Yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, first, I want to start off by just asking you to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. And then we can start talking about what some of your community advocacy work entails with Cradle Casey and Every Baby to One. Perfect. So I'm Shalise Clay. I am a program manager for Everybody Baby One in Cradle KC, as you stated. Um, a lot of the work that I have been doing in maternal health work came before that. And so I was case managing for a program out of a clinic um, out of Samuel Rogers, a local um, safety net clinic. And so I worked directly with families. We worked at the time, zero to three, and then it shifted but we saw a lot of the need directly. And so for me, I've always worked somewhat in medical mm-hmm. and it gave me an opportunity to see where I used to be with families. And so it just was a good fit. Um, then as I learned more about maternal health issues for black women, um, it really hit home because I had a lot of experience um, experiences that were the same and 
even the way I got my medical treatment seemed very similar to the concerns that a lot of women like me face. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was a easy transition to go into start off as a program coordinator and then became the program manager for the programs. And so Cradle KC definitely is more of the policy. We try to partner with um, hospitals and organizations that are trying to really help influence change. And so, and that work is really about the connections and really seeing where the need is and where the hospitals and, um, can make those changes for the families. Mm-hmm. And then Every Baby to One is a somewhat private, but it is a faith-based geared program that is supported by Avon and Children's Mercy. And so they um, are supporting us and in going into the churches to make sure especially Black churches are educating the congregation about safe sleep, social support, and safe space. And so we're having, we have a team that kind of goes into those churches and it is led by those individual churches themselves, but we mm-hmm. come in and support them in the efforts and give them the tools and the training so that they gotcha. know what to look for. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the number, a number just came out this last week, I believe it was that talked about uh, women are 36% more likely, something like 36, it was in the 30s, uh, mm-hmm. more likely to have adverse health outcomes post-surgery if they have a male doctor. Not surprised. Um, a lot of people are surprised when you hear that, but for me, it is an ongoing thing. And it's um, worse rem- for Black women in this country. Yes, it is. Absolutely. We are worse now than before slavery or during slavery. Mm. Mm. And so when you put that into perspective, that birth outcomes were better during slavery than they are now for Black women, it's that like... That just gave me chills. Yes. It's, it's because then we were, you know, bred to make money, and now we're just inconvenienced. And so it is heartbreaking, and it is a, a hard pill to swallow, and especially when you're in the thick of it, it's like, well, what the hell? Damn, Shalee, so many people make me cry on my own podcast, but you got me there. <laughs> Don't cry, listen. You know, it's good to have that conversation because I think a lot of people are thinking that all oh, those things don't exist anymore. No, oh, they do. <laughs> they absolutely do. Um, hmm. I'm sorry, Chris. It's okay. It's okay. Just give me, I can edit this part out here. I'll just give myself a second to collect myself. Like, I'm not a mom, but like, you know, I'm a human. I've got a heart. <laughs> and um, it's just absolutely, it is heartbreaking what's going on right now in our medical field for not just women, but especially for black and brown women. Yes. Uh, everything in our society is worse for black and brown women. I mean, you talk about ma- maternal mortality rates. You talk about intimate partner violence and outcomes with that. Poverty, homelessness, everything yes. is worse for black and brown women. It is. And it's, it's I'm not going to cry on your show, but it is... <laughs> very concerning that we're still in this place yes and it's just I don't know I I talked to several doctors I've talked to several people who are working in the in the field and to know that these outcomes exist and there's still a power struggle to fix it it's like I don't understand that I don't think I don't just make the change just do what you're supposed to but it's in it's embedded in their in their history of medical knowledge Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that this gap is left to be filled by nonprofits. Yes. 
which we're struggling. Like there's not like a boatload of money that comes to all the nonprofits. They here you get a hundred grand, here you get and go fix the thing. No, it is a power struggle. I have a friend who worked at the ACLU and you know, she really did her best with helping try to pass things in legislation, but there's like this tug of war. And it's, it sometimes feels like you have to just take what you can get. So it's like, now I'll just take the, the crumbs you give us. And then we'll try to work for another piece, but hopefully it's not more crumbs. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could have a whole other podcast episode talking about how white supremacy plays out in the nonprofit world and all that. Yes. However, <laughs> we are here today to talk more about things like maternity maternal health infant health and things like plan your pause we'll get into that in just a moment the plan your pause campaign but you touched on a few things there talking about every baby to one um you're trying the goal overall is to decrease the um infant mortality rate with three key areas you mentioned them being safe sleep safe space and social support so tell tell me a little bit more about what those break down to what are some of the actual um, action steps that you're trying to teach under each of those? Yeah. So I think, um, and I don't, I hate in a sense that we, we, it is not just a black church issue. It's not just a black issue. Safe sleep hits a lot of families, especially Mm -hmm. when we're looking at families who are dealing with poverty, but Mm -hmm. typically we are taught what our grandparents or our aunts and uncles teach us. And it's kind of like, this baby's going to be okay. Just put the baby on in the bed to take a nap and everything is okay. Well, we're seeing that that's not the safest place for a baby to sleep. So educating the older members of the congregation to know that's not okay. We really need to make changes. And this is the reason why. Mm -hmm. And so having babies sleep on their back and using Mm -hmm. those ABCs to make sure they're always on their back alone in the crib really makes a change um, in that baby's outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple, you know, but it, it doesn't always feel right when you're telling somebody, we don't want you putting blankets on a baby in a crib. We want you to just leave the baby in there, use a sleep sack. Um, I used to do a lot of trainings and I would tell families, if this the room is comfortable for you, then baby's okay. You know, it's winter time and I know it's hard for families to understand that even when we're talking about a safe space, that doesn't just necessarily mean a safe environment overall, but if that baby's in a car seat, we want to make sure the baby doesn't have a coat on because if that baby's in an accident and that coat is on them, they could be injured more than just having it fitted to their chest, how it's supposed to be, and then putting the coat on the outer side, um, outer part of the baby's body. So that way the baby is still covered up, but the car seat is fitting that baby perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then have that social support piece. A lot of us don't have that. And I think that's why we're pushing the Know Your Five um, message. And that is having those five people in place before you give birth. Having that conversation of those support people who will be there for you after you have the baby. Can that person go run errands for you? Can they take mm-hmm. you to the doctor? Can they stay in the house while you go get a, you know, take a break and get some fresh air? I think a lot of times we feel like we can do everything on our own. And so... Some of these things, even though they're very, very important, they're small things, small mm-hmm. changes so that your baby can make it to age of one. And, you know, then the rest is on you because that's a whole nother when you have toddlers to teenagers. <laughs> it's a challenge sometimes because right now 
you know, we're dealing with a whole new world. You know, I was working in the NICU not long ago for March of Dimes, and I remember just kind of seeing families in there by themselves. So that support mm-hmm. system that you're used to seeing, I had a NICU baby. I had family and friends who were able to come and check in on her while I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's not the option now. So yeah. what can that look like support-wise for you when you come home? Having those things in place. Um, because it's it's already a challenge when you have a new baby, but what if you have a sick baby? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we have to think about so many different things now that didn't seem as prevalent, but they really are coming around and, and we're seeing that the need is so great to have these things for you. And it's just those simple things, those simple conversations you can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one thing that is sort of a pet peeve of mine, however, about the medical field these days is that a lot of doctors, you know, the nurses may be a little bit different, but a lot of doctors, especially OBGYNs, aren't willing to have some of the necessary conversations at this point, you know, especially yes. things like, let's go ahead and talk about plan your pause. Mm-hmm. That's a campaign to help moms have a healthy gap in between their babies. Mm-hmm. <sighs> The idea of an OBGYN being the person responsible for trying to encourage mom to understand, like, you don't have to jump right back into having penetrative sex. Maybe you can wait a while before you are doing things. Let your body recover. Like, only 15% of surveyed OBGYNs actually ask their patients about their sexual function or pleasure. Yes. It's amazing to me that that is even something that that's not a conversation. Like you would think that that's a conversation. You would think that, I don't know. I don't know if they just, it's, so let's just be transparent. I have sat in meetings and the insurance company are talking about incentives for your visits. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're not getting paid every time you come in, Mm -hmm. but what's more important. And we all know making babies is more profitable than you're telling somebody to stop. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I think, Kristen, I think if you look at nurses, depending on the nurse, if you get a nurse, I, I, I felt once upon a time, the nurses to me had like this better influence and had this knowledge that, are this, um, what am I looking for? This compassion that doctors did not carry. Mm-hmm. But I've sat back and heard nurses who give crappy information also. <laughs> and so it's kind of hard. And even when we're looking at, for instance, safe sleep, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a, you see your baby, for instance, I'm going to stay with the NICU babies. You see mm-hmm. babies in the NICU, they place babies on their stomach. But how many of them are saying, this is under medical supervision, and this is why. Mm-hmm. So then when mom finally gets baby home, they're trying to continue the same thing. Well, no, because baby can suffocate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Your baby is more likely to choke if they're on their stomach because they're now sitting in their vomit versus mm-hmm. if they're on their back and it can come out and, you know, your baby can have that um, air coming through without a problem. But those are the conversations I think are lacked across the board, you know, and sometimes even old nurses, I think kind of are stubborn and just don't want to deal mm-hmm. with you. They're just like revolving door. Let's get you in, get you out. 
had your baby, you're good, baby looks good, you look good, okay, I'll see you in you know, a month or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's why so much, um, yeah, from what I see in my practice, so many people come to me and talk about how their, their postpartum depression didn't get addressed, their pain, painful intercourse, once they did start having sex again, that didn't get addressed. And yeah, yes, there's just a lot of gaps in the medical there's field. There's a lot of gaps in, with women, and I don't understand that. I don't understand why it's not important to address those concerns. Or is it also, like I was saying earlier, the fact that, you know, sometimes women don't feel comfortable having that conversation because it might be embarrassing that you're having these feelings of mental anguish or you're having this pain when you're having sex. I think I may have seen recently in the past two years, like commercials talking about women who are now experiencing pain, you know, after having sex. And truth be told, I can relate to that, but it's like, I never thought about having that conversation with my doctor, but why didn't I? I go to the doctor all the time. I feel comfortable, but it's just, I don't know. Is it just us? Is it an us thing too? I think that there's so much taboo around anything that has to do with sexual function. And especially, I think we receive a lot of conditioning around like menstruation and our periods about, oh, well, that pain, that's just something you're supposed to deal with that, mm-hmm. you know, all the stuff that we can often deal with, with PMS, mm-hmm. that's just a part of being a vulva owner. Like, yes, we get downgraded quite a lot. Um, so I think that it just falls in line with that, that we're thinking that's just part of normal function of a vagina or mm-hmm. no one's going to actually take this seriously. And, and so many times, especially like if we're not actually experiencing the thing in the moment, when we go to the doctor's office, they act like, well, I can't do anything about this right now. Yeah. Like pain after sex is not like herpes. You don't need to look at the <laughs> the thing to see what it is. They, you can deal with it, but so many doctors just brush people off. And I think you're hitting a nail on the head too with why we have so many infant loss. You know, when I talk to a lot of the pregnant women who have gone to the hospital while they're pregnant multiple times for experiencing bleeding and things, you're putting your mind that you're already going to be dismissed. So I'm wondering if it, like you're just saying, it's a a combination possibly, you know, number one, I've already told you that I'm experiencing these pains and I'm experiencing this bleeding and I'm pregnant and I'm scared. And you're telling me, oh, it's okay. That's normal. Go home. Mm -hmm. And then after the third or fourth time, and then this mom had a miscarriage or something happens, then fast forward. to now I'm experiencing these discomforts and or anything. And I don't say anything because I do, I'm gonna feel the same way as being dismissed or looked over because we already know as black women, they already expect us to come in here making up things. So then it's like, well, why share that? And, you know, honestly, I had a black physician who my experience I thought was gonna be very amazing and it was very not, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's not even, I think, it's not even determined on the race of the physician. Like I said, I think it's something that when they are learning these things, they are taught to identify us as the problem. Mm. Mm. I don't even know how to say, well, here's a solution. What, I mean, well, seriously, what do we do with that? Like, where, where do we actually get into change people's minds or influence 
something different. Like, what do we have to do? Get into the medical schools and teach a course about racism and white supremacy in the medical field? I think um, Mama Hakima says the best. We have to be able to feel comfortable with saying that it's racism. The Mm -hmm. end. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. The end. There we go. So once you're comfortable enough to say that, um, then it makes room for change. And Mm -hmm. right now, you know, again, a large hospitals are about the, the bottom line and that's making sure you get that money, making sure that you're paying out, not making sure that this, these, I'm going to say few patients over here who have this concern about their treatment and care versus no, we're making sure we, we keep getting those checks coming in. And yeah. so it's not a concern for them. And that's unfortunate because I see that safety net clinics and providers definitely do a better job of being culturally competent and knowing how to deal with patients and having a, a little bit more willingness to learn and share versus I had a Johnson County doctor tell me you treat me more like a social worker than a doctor. Well, damn, well, what the hell? Okay. At, um, hospitals and physicians groups are not actually interested in positive health outcomes. No, they're no. not. They're just not. No. <laughs> we, and we need to stop treating them like they are. Yeah. <laughs> You're mm. right. Yes, I'm actually taking this course right now called White Women and Accountability through Social Mm -hmm. Scope Productions. And that was something that Marie and Mia, the facilitators, were very specific about that we have to start calling things for what they are, which is this Mm -hmm. is racism Mm -hmm. and be very, very blunt about it. Honestly, we have no more time to be pussyfooting around what things are. Babies and moms are dying. Black women are dying. Yes. And I appreciate that. I think that, you know, even if you can't make a large change, just being aware Mm -hmm. that these things exist. And, you know, for me, it's a start. It's it's getting the the message out there and having white women and men support the situations that are occurring with our BIPOC community, because, you know, we are all experiencing some type of different level of racism. And unfortunately, you know, when you say the word, it just off puts people sometimes. I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't, you can't just be afraid of what it is. So that's cool though. I did the white privilege conference many years ago and it was very eye-opening to see these group of allies. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe we're getting somewhere. Fingers crossed. Fingers um, crossed. Well, and I'll just say for me, one of my things that I say is that there can be no sexual liberation without racial, social, and economic justice. Yes. So on that note, let's take a quick break. And then I do want to get more into talking about plan your pause and, uh, you know, we can talk about some more fun stuff (laughs) with that. So get into talking about more of what I do, I think. I know. I'm curious because I'm like, I said we need a little part A and B. I don't know how free we can be with this part, but we definitely can. We'll see here. All right. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. back for the second half of the show again with Shalice Clay, who's the program manager for Cradle Casey, Every Baby to One. Uh, and also they have a Plan Your Pause campaign with yes. the Community Health Council of Wyandotte County. So 
plan your pause is of particular interest to me simply because uh, I think that I've got some some helpful tips and some helpful ideas that you can either get onto the community and help educate people with, or maybe you're already including these, but yeah. Um, we can actually talk about sex in this part. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Tell, tell me and the listeners a little more about, you know, I, I mentioned briefly that the campaign goal overall is to help moms have a healthy gap between babies, but yeah, yes. tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. So we really want to encourage the mom and the family to have that 18 month space in between her pregnancies. And that's really, like we said, not even necessarily penetration because we don't want you to have any sexual intercourse in that sense um, because we know your body is still healing, especially if you had a vaginal birth. And so we know that moms need that time to have um, a healing process. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're in a same sex relationship, you definitely want to make sure that your partner is on board. I think our tips has been looking at addressing the family. Mm -hmm. We know that the partners is um, a big influence on whether you're getting stimulated or not. And so we want to make sure that the partner is also encouraging mom to let her body heal. Mm -hmm. We know breastfeeding is a good way of starting that process. And so we want to encourage her to do what is ever the, um, the best way of um, nursing her baby, which would be, of course, breastfeeding first. But if that can't happen, just making sure that she is giving baby what she needs so she could give herself what she needs and also just giving her that time to really um, make sure she's going to her doctor's appointment, which is that six-week appointment after she gives birth, making sure she's um, checking in with herself and if she's noticing any inconsistencies with her body during that healing process that they can catch it so um, there's no issues for her. But I do feel like this time around, we can't always put the... Um, no sex stuff on the mom was she yeah, wanted it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you got it. Because then one person's just maybe feeling the other partner is feeling dejected or rejected. Yes. And like, yeah, you got it. Well, you got it. And plus, like, for mom to just simply be like, no, 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 it's got to be both partners yeah, for sure. That makes it a lot easier. Your partner to feel neglected, but you just had a baby. You carried this baby for all this time. Hopefully, it was full term and there was no issues or complications. But then, what if a mom did have issues or complications? Like, I'm going to tell you, after you have a baby, it's not always pleasant to have somebody up on you when you're constantly up every two to three hours breastfeeding or feeding, mm -hmm. period, or changing diapers. You feel gross. And then you're partner is like hey babe um mm -hmm. so let's address this let's and you yourself might be in diapers for a little bit depending upon what happened or you've you got could. bandage dressings on exactly you you stitch mm -hmm. and I don't think you know your partner always understands that there's a lot of messiness sometimes going down below in that vagina area so you just want to kind of keep it safe and sound can we just put a a break on it, a pause button mm -hmm. on the vagina yes. for a while. And talking to your doctor, because I know that I'm not a medical professional, so I will not say, but I think being willing to have that conversation with your physician about the best practices also to encourage you and your partner to have that discussion are coming on Kristen showing our and reaching out to her and another professional who can be like, okay, these are some tips to kind of help you sustain some things or maybe being um creative and finding some new ways to be intimate with your partner that does not allow you to enter the red zone 
Yes, I can definitely help with those things. If well, you, I'm willing if you, to hear what you have. What oh, yeah. I, if you're if your doctor shuts you down and is not willing to have the conversation, or if they basically just say like, oh, you know, just just you know, do stuff outer outer course, but they're big. Yes, yeah. um, of course, outer course is I think one of the easiest things that you can do, and that that just means anything except penetration. Yes, and, and that doesn't matter if it's a penis, fingers, or a toy. Just no penetration into the vagina that just gave yes. birth. Yes. Outer course can be a lot of fun, whether again, oral sex, uh, digital stimulation. Mm. Yeah. Um, toys that, you know, do the clitoris, some gentle you know, toys could be helpful. Is it, is, is it a little selfish that I'm like, if my partner and I just had a baby, can I get some massages on a regular basis? How there you we, go. A sensual massage. We, yes. Yeah. My uterus is this small. Like I'm having, I have a C-section. So I definitely yeah. did not want anything going on while I had these bandages or a little bit of a smell. You don't know. Like, so yes, also, I'm with you. Nipple stimulation. Yes. Nipple stimulation oh. can be really, really erotic. And some people can even have orgasms from nipple stimulation you know i find a lot of men who enjoy a little bit of breast milk mm, yes you know that's a thing helps, you know you don't want to overstimulate mom while she's breastfeeding because then it's like a lot for her but it could be a nice way for you to make her still feel sexy because when you have your boobs dripping after you give birth a lot of times you don't feel the greatest so i think thinking about for you know thinking about the partner's needs which would be the mom and what you can do with her to not only fulfill both of your needs because sometimes like you said just a a soft touch you know what I mean or embrace Mm -hmm. can go a long way and sometimes it's not about the end goal at least in my part yeah I know in your work it's about the end goal but sometimes it doesn't have to be with the journey it's about (laughs) the journey absolutely yes Yes. (laughs) because i even say that an orgasm is not the only indication of a good time yes you know it is not just about finishing although that is like a that's like a great cherry on top and for a lot of people they are very orgasm focused um and it's like i get that if you're just wanting to find a different way to orgasm perfect if you're simply wanting to again enjoy the journey and see what pleasure can feel like with mm-hmm. with no end goal in mind it's simply the the exploration of your bodies especially yes. for new moms that your body's different than it's ever been before and yes. it may look like this again it may not depends on you know what you're going to do if you are going to have more kids or our body having the expectation, Chris. And I think yes. we have to be able to not have an expectation that after six weeks, that's when I'm supposed to have sex with my partner. You know, just wait out. And when you really look at it, and the ultimate goal, let me just go back a little bit, is that you know, if mom has a healthy pregnancy, she's healing up properly, in those 18 months, she is really getting her body bounced back. That next pregnancy is way more likely to be successful than if you're rushing in her body to Mm -hmm. not get back to where it was. She gets pregnant, and then there's a chance of maybe a miscarriage or something happening. And so we do know that those things occur, and we don't want to give any reason for mom's mental health to be any more traumatized than she may have already had, you know. And so... That is, think about. yes, you're right. I, 
I didn't even think about that. And I, I actually did have a friend who uh, got pregnant pretty quickly after a pregnancy and then did miscarry and has had a child since. But yeah, there was there was a moment where I was like, girl, you're already, you're already having penetration. Like you, you don't have to do this to yourself. And she said like, she, she was into it too. It wasn't just, it wasn't just right. dad pressuring, but well, yeah, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But, but yeah. still, what about pulling out? <laughs> what about using a condom? <laughs> oh, yeah. what about even tracking your cycle? Listen, like, and maybe hmm. it's time to really get into, I know this is going to be not necessarily a every baby one's comment, but oral can you know be okay if you know you're willing to please your partner names and so maybe that's what it, it takes you know but that penetration and you know it's like you know I, some people are not gentle so we don't want anybody jackrabbiting the vagina when you just had a baby <sighs> you guys. just had a baby guys yes so yes and inter- it easy and intercourse doesn't always have to be jackhammering y'all for no. real I mean, listen, let's slow it down. Let's put on some Osley Brothers. This, you know. Yes. Make it sensual. Make it slow. Make it sexy. Yes. Do you think that, I? and, you know, I think intimacy is sometimes lost when you have a family. And I know you don't have Mm -hmm. kids, but it's like you have a busy life. And so intimacy can look very different. And I think maybe we should push that a little bit, too. Yes. Um, Yes. Um, are you familiar with Natasha Ria Elskari? She's an author and poet here in town. And I, I talk about her book and what she taught me all the time. Um, but she has, she talked about this concept of the patriarchal mother, where when we la- allow our kids to be so sheltered about mm-hmm. us being sexual beings, we are doing them a disservice. When we create this view of my mother as someone who simply had sex to make me and like, <laughs> la, la, I don't want to think about my parents. Like I, you know, you never see them kiss. You never see them hug. There's no other intimacy seen by this child or very little. They develop this view of either my parents are not sexual beings. And then therefore, as I age, I either won't be a sexual being once I have kids, or I'm not allowed to be a sexual being once I have kids. Mm -hmm. So we're really doing kids a disservice by not doing things like holding hands on the couch, or kissing in front of them or giving extended hugs that are, you know, more romantic or intimate rather than just like the quick hug. We don't lock our doors. Because mm-hmm. we let the kids come in. And so then we don't do anything because the kids can come in. <laughs> we don't plan a date night where yeah. the kids are gone. We don't even tell them once they're at an age appropriate time to say things like, you know what? Sex is a healthy function for adult relationships. Moms and dads or moms and moms have sex. Yeah. And you one day will do that too. You don't have to give them details, but you can at least mm-hmm. help them understand the concept of This is an integral part of our relationship. Sometimes we're going to lock the door. Here's what constitutes an emergency. Here's all the things that you can knock on the door for. Yeah. Or Friday night, we're having a date night. You're going to grandma's house. Well, what are you doing? Well, we got to take care of our relationship, kid. Exactly. I love it. I mean, my door used to kick the door down. Like, listen, (laughs) so I get it. And I think it's good that, um, you know, my husband and I are definitely a section that way that is thinking back 
I didn't see that growing up. My, my mom was a single mom, but, you know, and so it was the love I got from her, but I didn't see in a relationship. And so I think that sometimes we miss out on how we can be a supportive partner in things like, why, you know, planning your pause with your wife or your partner and just trying to make sure that that person's needs are still being met, but in a safe way. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be respectful of each other's um, body and healing process. And so it's no different from if your man is, or your partner, I should say, is having surgery and they need to be out for six weeks or, you know, like you're not going to just, well, some of us are not just going to make that call and be like, well, let's just test it out, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, you're right. I think the more we are open with each other and your your kids and sh- showing them that stuff earlier on makes a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little awkward at first <laughs> to Listen, tell your kids that, yep, that, oh gosh, mom and dad have all the that. time and my youngest used to be so supportive. Now she's 12 and she's like, Mm-mm, I don't want to see that. And I'm like, but this is healthy way for you to know how, you know, to treat your partner one day. It is okay for your kids to exhibit a little bit of disgust as like adolescents or teens, because let me tell you, from what I see in my practice, the people who have said to me, you know what? I used to tell my parents all the time, like, oh, gross, make out somewhere else or get a room. At least they knew their parents had sex. Yes. And they have way healthier views as young adults and even middle-aged adults about sex and relationships than their peers who never, ever saw their parents do any of those things. You know, I wish I would have known you a long time ago. It's funny because we I've always been the aunt and mom who my sister would be like, let me send them over so you can have this talk with them because I've been very open. And so I was looking at some of your work and, um, the naming of the body parts and so like all during COVID my youngest she I don't know I don't know what happened you know she got to this point where I guess she's developing and she's like no don't say breast penis or vagina so Mm -hmm. I made a whole song and my husband and I was singing breast penis and vagina like a whole song and now a year later she's like now like having these little small talks with me like about time, like, girl, breast penis and vagina, like, you need to. Yes. So yeah. proud of you for pushing back and saying, like, oh, because yes. you you don't call an elbow anything other than an elbow. Exactly. You don't call a foot anything other than a foot. It is okay to call it a vagina okay. a vagina and a breast a breast. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's the thing. And that's that fine line when we work with churches, I will say, mm-hmm. is that I can't. I have to be a little bit of a center sometimes because what I want to say and what we have talked about, like even some of my colleagues is just like how we can support families and be transparent. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had a miscarriage, every baby, the one was created because they had found out, for instance, uh, I think it was between 15 to 18 um, infant morbidities had occurred in this one church. Mm. Mm-hmm. and there's never a conversation we're going to pray about it. Mm-hmm. that's wonderful I appreciate that people want to pray about it but in reality what is that mom going through and that's a reactive solution mm-hmm. right prayer is is reactive what what mm-hmm. can be done proactively to help support these women and prevent that yes. from happening and prevent yeah. it from happening to them again or to other women exactly yeah I know that's- I thought 
You, pre- you probably can't walk around these churches wearing the button that I have. It says penis and vagina are not bad words. You know, I would love, I mean, you can send me one. I will wear it, but you know, it's just like, you know, it's that fine line, but you know, we just, and it's interesting because there is one particular person who is a part of one of our churches who is very open about her sexuality and very open about talking about the use of contraception and has tried them all out. And mm-hmm. she is, um, she's a little bit older, but she is very sexually active and has talked to us about a lot of different things. And it's like, where were you at? when I was you know a church member that's the godmother you need around for sure yeah especially when you're talking about how to use female condoms you know I have a lot of gay friends who tell me a lot about female condoms and how they use them and it's just like not only is it a protecting thing but you know you want to make sure that you're getting the best use Mm -hmm. out of those condoms and so yes having Mm -hmm. fun and being protected because I even send my 18 year well he's probably 20 sorry 21 (laughs) I send him condoms like hey Good. Make sure good. Make sure you're good. You know, when studies do show that when teens and adolescents get factual sexual health information, especially from the matriarch of their family, mom or grandma, or even an aunt, they are more likely to have positive health outcomes in the long run, meaning fewer STIs, fewer pregnancies, and fewer miscarriages, and specifically yes. boys will delay their first pregnancy by like five or six years compared to the boys that don't. So you're Please. doing it right, mom. You're doing Please. it right. I hope so. I, I, you know, want to use my work and knowledge one day with my own family, but not right now. Yeah. <laughs> let right. me let give us some time. But, you know, there's some things that we do talk about it. I find that there are gaps like having to talk about consent and having to talk about self-pleasure and how it's okay. You know, um, cradle, we can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cradle, I mm-hmm. can be like, listen, this is what we need to start talking to families about and how we can support them on getting, because in the church, you might come across a, a woman who was a late, late version and so, you know, how can she feel comfortable to start having intercourse with her potential partner? And how can she be supported if she now wants to have kids and she's in her mid-30s and wants to have a healthy birth outcome? Mm-hmm. So we do have a lot of work to do, but, you know, this is a start. Absolutely. Well, I, I would definitely recommend grabbing Natasha's book called Mama Sutra. Ooh. I think the subtitle is Love. Hang on, I can grab it real quick. There it is. I had to find it on my shelf. Mama Sutra, Love and Love Making Advice to My Son by Natasha Ria Elskari. Because a, a lot of the stuff that she talks about in here is not just about like the actual action steps of, hey, son, here's how you are going to need to behave to be a good lover. I mean, she talks mm-hmm. about things like uh, exfoliating your lips or washing your sheets between lovers. But she also talks about things like delaying pregnancy and how to pick a partner that is a good match for you and all that stuff. So do you find that women like it was just interesting to me and I'm sure you may, but do you find a lot of women who are planning their pregnancies with you when that conversation takes place? A lot of my clients are either past the point of having children Mm -hmm. or 
they're not planning on having children at this point. Um, but the ones who have had kids, I've, I've definitely, there's been some that I have asked like, Hey, was, was that a planned pregnancy or were your kids planned? Mm-hmm. And it's split. It's definitely yeah. split. Uh, I mean, and I even asked my male clients who, who have kids. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that planning your pregnancy is also a very privileged thing thus far in our society. I think that, you know, Planned Parenthood, you know, is fine and all, but access can be kind of challenging depending upon where you're at. And, um, you know, yes, the organization is not what it was when it was founded, but I understand Mm -hmm. there's a lot of mistrust for Planned Parenthood in the black and BIPOC community understandably so because of what it yeah. you know the what the founder uh, basically why they started it but but then on the other hand it's like i understand that you know planning your pregnancy leads to better financial outcomes the the longer you delay your first pregnancy especially as a woman the uh, it's not that you will make as much money as a, a male counterpart you will simply have less of a dip than other women who have their children earlier yeah. Men are never financially impacted by childbirth. Statistically speaking, in the long run, only women are financially impacted by having children. That is really truthful. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you said that it's a privilege. And, you know, again, until I got into cradle work directly, um, I didn't even know that that was a conversation that's supposed to take place and Mm -hmm. not, you know, Again, I had my daughter give birth to her when I was 24. And so I was the last of my friends who had had kids. So everyone I know was like, damn, I think I'm pregnant, you know, and not necessarily, oh, we're dreaming of this. And even the few who were married, it was a surprise. It wasn't planned out. But uh, Mm -hmm. the few that I know are definitely in a different financial situation. And so they're, I guess, able to have that. And so it's good to kind of see the other side and I was curious just to know like is this something that we also need to be talking about because yes planning your pause in between but again when we go back into well do you even want to have kids Mm -hmm. and if so is it better for you to think about planning your pregnancies versus possibly having this blessed surprise (laughs) you know it can go so many different ways for people yeah yeah I I think it is a very uh white thing to be able to plan your pregnancy at this point. I think that uh, planning your pregnancies is very marketed to white people, again, because those that are in power understand that if they keep people poor, sick, and uneducated, they're easier to control. And they don't actually want white people to be poor, sick, and uneducated as much as they do black and brown people. So they will market to people like me, like, make sure, you know, once you're in college and you're having sex that you're, you're on birth control. They, so they market mm-hmm. birth control to white people. They market um, going to your doctor to white people because we statistically often more times have insurance and access to healthcare. Um, so then the, there's that part of it too, that we just simply have more access to be able to plan it. So and I, I think that the reasons that they tell us the planet are different than the reasons that the black and brown community should, you know, plan their pregnancies. I don't know. It's, it's all very convoluted and yeah. there's a lot of racism and white supremacy sprinkled in there too. But I love that transparency and that, that perception of it. It, it makes a lot of sense. 
Mm -hmm. It makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. And again, that's a, like you said, not knowing, not having the knowledge or access, it makes it like a day or night situation for black and brown people. Um, when we're even talking about having conversations that support you in that, <sighs> this world. This world needs some change. That's why people like you and I exist. Yeah. We're here to influence change, even if it's just one person at a time. But that's also why I've got this podcast so that we can get out there and influence exactly. hearts and minds too. So, it. well, Shalise, I oof, got a lot to think about, about, you know, for myself for the last few years, I have had to just simply focus on my business and keeping my head down and not just with the pandemic. I mean, I, I, I started my business in 2017 and when you're a solopreneur, you're just grinding away, but I, I'm ready and wanting to get more active in the community. So if there's anything that, that I can do to be more, you know, active with your organization, I am on the Missouri side, but Hey, I can volunteer wherever I want. Right. Yeah, um, on both sides. So, yeah. So, and then, so for me and for the listeners, what, what can we do to get involved? What can we do to support your organization? All those things. Well, I will say, and if anyone wants to check out our website, everybabytheone.org, you can um, go on there and check out a lot of the information about those three S's we talked about earlier. Um, and then we have some videos and Fuller's team, who is fantastic, just re did our relaunch. So we are really excited about that. Um, go on our social media pages. Um, so you can follow us and get more um, daily information that's put out there. But also look into local organizations like we support each other. There's not a lot of there's a uh, I won't say so much of a small community for black maternal care um, support, but there are like um, Uzazi Village. Mm -hmm. They just opened up their um, clinic and Hakima, who is fantastic. She's someone I definitely look up to. She definitely knows the work and has no problem with telling you like it is. <laughs> She's on the Missouri side and they do have some work on the Kansas side. And then I work with Dr. Charlotte Smith, who is a part of the Kansas Birth Equity Network on the Kansas side. So definitely someone else to follow. But if you want to do some policy stuff or if you're able to do some, go on the Cradle KC website also and check them out. Uh, Mariah, Dr. Mariah Kranz, I should say, she's my partner in crime, but she is um, someone who has been doing the work just as long. She helped co-found Uzazi Village, and she is a white woman who definitely stands up for the BIPOC community, and I just love, love these women to pieces. And so, yeah, we have to have more allies, and so you're always welcome. We have Marcia Dimes who support us, Evan. So we have a good foundation, but the work mm -hmm. is not ending. And so if you're willing to stand up and matter of fact maybe we need to have that shirt that's hopeful we need to just start coming up with some custom shirts to let people know how we really feel about things and i think with this new generation of young people having them on board is going to help make the change absolutely get you some merch to raise some fun yes yes, yes. yes. i'll push that stuff and if if there's anything that i can do um, whether that's, you know, I'll just say I'll offer, whether that's a, a virtual workshop that y'all can record and kind of keep that talks about, um, intimacy and desire, all that stuff for plan your pause. Like I'll, I'll help you any way I can on that. Yes. I appreciate it. I mean, this has been 
one of the best interviews I've done in a long time and I'm really excited. So, um, and anything I can do, I know we kind of have a hit or miss on some of our topics a little bit because we seem to be both passionate about sex, number one, and then just the relationships between, you know, people and where our bodies can go. And I think for me, I've always saw myself as Samantha from Sex in the City anyway. <laughs> so it's like when I got this information about, would you like to do a sex party? Yes. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. And so, yeah, and there's so many other things to talk about because we didn't even talk about, like, for me, I'm dealing with fibroids and then what that looks like for women who are experiencing PCOS and what that, you know, we have so many things that Black women who are really struggling with and not that that's just a, like I said, a Black person, a Black woman's issue, but it is something that I'm seeing more that we're, as we're getting older, we're experiencing all these things and our bodies are changing. It's like, well, hold up. It's not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, then I will just have to have you back for a part two. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I'm really, really happy about this. It's been exciting. Thank you so much, Shalice. Shalice, this was a great interview. And I, I feel better informed about your organizations. I'm sure my listeners do as well. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that you know 2022... We can continue to see a decrease in maternal and infant mortality rates thanks to your programs. Thank you. And yeah, any churches are out there? I know um, we're talking a lot about UB1. So if any churches are out there who are interested in bringing us in to help you support your congregation, let me know. Perfect. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see you back, I'm sure, again for (laughs) another episode to keep them coming. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.